Today we will be discussing Apple Arcade, which launched on September 19th earlier this year. In our conversation today, we want to talk about number one, initial thoughts on the service. What do we think of the offering and the games? Secondly, who is the audience for the service? And third, future prospects for how big the service will be for Apple. And apologies, I'm a little bit sick today, which is why my voice is kind of screwed up. But to discuss this topic in more detail, I'm joined today by Eric Kress and Steve Pally. Hey guys, could you uh, briefly tell us about your backgrounds? Um, sure, I guess I'll start. Um, so my name's Steve <clears throat> Pally. Uh, I work for Pixelberry Studios and uh, we're the dev studio that makes uh, choices, uh, stories you play on mobile. Um, and so we do interactive fiction, basically. Um, prior to that, you know, I spent some time in graduate school. I'm a longtime games journalist as well. Um, so I started a website called Slide to Play and we were among the first um, to cover basically iPhone gaming. Uh, we launched in fall of 2008. So pretty darn early um, as far as this ecosystem goes. So, uh, and before that I actually covered mobile games for GameSpot <laughs> of all things uh, in like 2004 and 2005. So we're talking about like the feature phone era. So <clears throat> many, many varieties of, for instance, chess and snake uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I've been involved in mobile games basically since 2004 in one capacity or another. Um, and for the last four and a half years, I've been working for Pixelberry uh, in user acquisition, um, data analytics, and product management. Um, so, I, you know, I've gained a fairly comprehensive understanding of how free-to-play works and, and in some cases doesn't work. Um, but I'm also coming from like, you know, in, like an indie game developer space because uh, I used to cover all those games and I still play many of them. Great. Eric? Steve is a doctor of philosophy. I mean, a doctor of philosophy. How far have you fallen uh, working so, in the video game space? Right. So here's the thing. Uh, some would argue that I've actually risen. <laughs> you but that's some highbrow, about... highfalutin stuff, like intellectual stuff, which yeah. I don't possibly, can't possibly understand. Yeah. No, I think you can. Um, it's, it's <laughs> talk about non-viable industries. Uh, academia is one of them. Uh, it's being disrupted along with indie gaming. Right. Um, but yes, I did get a, a, a PhD in political science uh, from UCLA. Um, so I did a lot of uh, actually quantitative stuff while I was there. And that has helped me kind of understand free to play um, from a data analytics perspective. So that's what I like to tell people. It actually does kind of fit together. Uh, not really, but um, I'm glad I did it. Hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> it was I mean, it was seven years of my life. <laughs> Jesus. Super, that's a super nerdy. All right. So, oh yeah. Have I ever done my background on the podcast? I don't, I don't think oh. so. All right. Not well, that let's, I let's do it quickly. So All I worked right. at, I worked at EA for seven years and at EA I was, did corp dev. I did, uh, FP and a financial planning and analysis. I did forecasting in North America. I did product marketing for a game called black. And then I did brand marketing for EA in general. So over my seven year stint there, um, Super painful, as everyone knows that worked at EA. Um, it's a tough place to be. <laughs> Love the people, hate the politics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the cool thing is that I got intros to most of the execs during that time, like John Riccatello, Frank Chabot, and all the name dropping that is required here. But And learned the business from a, more of a high level and kind of did a lot of the strategy work while I was there uh, because there was no strategy group at the time uh, that was formed by one of my buddies, Chris Coe, later on. Um, so... 
after that, I developed, you know, got a great expertise in the console space and PC. And so I went to Wall Street and started covering video games for investors at a company called Bay Street. Um, and I did that for six years. And then kind of the bottom dropped off in 08 uh, with, you know, the market crash and things got a little bit sketchy. So <laughs> I had an opportunity to go to Kabam and I was like VP of corporate strategy at Kabam. And kind of the goal was to understand and learn free to play because I don't know, I didn't know Jack about it. And it was like kind of my PhD in free to play from some pretty smart guys over at Kabam. Mm -hmm. Did that for two years and then I branched out. Now I'm doing my own consultancy. And my own consultancy is primarily related to the publicly traded guys uh, with in big investors, hedge funds primarily. Uh, but I also do consulting. I did a project for uh, Sega, Gree, doing a project for AW, uh, for Amazon. I'm actually now doing a project for Warner Brothers. So I have to keep my comments about Warner Brothers to myself, I suppose. <laughs> not <laughs> so anyway so but my my primary goal is to figure out what's happening with the big guys um and that's kind of what i do yeah this is from my perspective uh you're you're definitely uh you know my favorite on the deconstructor podcast and just my favorite finance bro in general even though we just met so <laughs> awesome well hold on I, I got one update man i don't know if i said this in the podcast but i called this ubisoft thing cold man this is almost as bad as the glue thing so <laughs> Uh, Ghost Recon just completely screwed the pooch uh, this, this, this time and they just pushed out the three games they have coming out in Q4 so their stock is literally down from 75 down to uh, like I think 40 now so it got freaking annihilated so nice. feeling good about that one. All right, Apple Arcade. I thought we could first start by talking about high-level thoughts in terms of the current games and the, and the service itself in terms of the way that it presents itself on the phone. And so, Steve, do you, do you want to start in terms of like what, what your thoughts are? Yeah, I mean, so I've been playing Apple Arcade. I signed up as soon as it was available. Um, and I mean, the first thing to know about Apple Arcade is that like it's right there staring you in the face on the app store. You know, yeah. it's like there's an, there's an icon right there, you know? Um, so I think a lot of people are probably trying it out. Um, and I think I just got billed for the first time, five bucks. Um, I've played about 30 of these games and I'm frankly astounded, like the rate at which Apple is shoveling new games onto the pile. It's like, I get a notification every now and again, it's like, oh, another 10 games dropped or something. And it's just like, oh my God, <laughs> like how many of these are you like holding in reserve? Like what does the pipeline even look like? You know, it must be significant. Um, but yeah, I've, I've played 30 of these, um, not all of them very, very extensively. Um, and I've found a few that I think are, are really awesome. Um, most of them are not awesome at all. Um, yeah. But uh, it's like, there's so many, it's kind of like uh, to a certain extent, commoditized and i think i'm sure we'll talk about that um you know at some point <laughs> during the course of this call right and from my perspective like i feel like i've played I, the majority of the games i mean i don't know my phone is just filled with apple arcade titles but you know to, for, for me as well if i'm being honest this is really like an indie jizz fest it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> this is like ew so, so, yeah. much, so much like niche like indie content you know, and <clears throat> I don't know, of the titles, I've probably played Oceanhorn and that pinball, the RPG pinball game the most, but- um, Yeah, Pinball Wizard. Pinball Wizard, right. I like, both, I like Pinball Wizard. Both the titles are okay, not great. I think the pinball game could have been great, but the controls are just like, it's not, they're not precise enough, at, at least, yeah. you know, when I play on my iPhone 11 and iPad Pro, but 
Um, and I, I know you, you had mentioned that you like Shinsekai and Pilgrims and, you know, those games also, like, I, I can see why people would like them. At, at, yeah. at least when I played them, you know, I wasn't, I was in the mindset of wanting to like think very much. Or, like, yeah. Right. You don't so, want to like go into this, sit down for two hours and have an indie gaming experience. Right. 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 So it's like, I, we all have kids, we all have families, you know, it's like, <laughs> don't have any time. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah, kind of like, like, it's not really that time of life anymore. So I right, get it. It's like, you, you ran out of oxygen, ran out of like, what the hell are you? I'm like, what oh, the fuck? This. <laughs> it's like, so, I can't, I can't buy a boost to get more oxygen. It's like, no, you can't like yeah. <laughs> you're dead. That's it. <laughs> so I don't know. So the big takeaway for me really is that for me, there wasn't a single title I'd be willing to pay $5 for. So, you know, if I hadn't got auto enrolled post the trial, I, I, I would not have re-upped past the trial. Hmm. So for me, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think Apple Arcade is well-intentioned. I, I do think that the intentions and motivations behind Apple Arcade are good, but you know, the, the barrier between free and, and one cent is fairly substantial. And there are <laughs> so many competitive alternatives now, right? So whether they're hyper-casual games that are arguably as fun or even more fun than, than the games on Apple Arcade, or, you know, free-to-play games like Clash Royale, which I think are so much more fun than the other titles that I'm seeing on Apple Arcade. I, I, so ultimately, I think it makes this, the service a hard sell. So, you know, for, from my perspective, I suspect the majority of Apple owners will not opt for Apple Arcade. Eric? I mean, everyone knows my opinion on Apple Arcade, so <laughs> I'm not going to get incensed because Mishka's not here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I agree. These, all these games are targeting primarily indies, right? And uh, I think there is a fundamental under misunderstanding of what indie is, right? Indies are just by nature very niche for super dorky people like us on, on, the, on, the, on the podcast and probably people, everyone that's listening to this podcast. But mass market people don't play these super hardcore like um, platforming games or action adventure games. It's just not, it, it's just not broad enough. Um, and I just think there's just very people that are interested in playing like Pilgrims or Hot Lava or any of this other garbage, right? Sorry, not garbage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was looking, I was trying to get some like data, you know, because I, you know, a lot of times we're just talking out of our ass, right? Um, yeah. But like how many, I looked at the most popular games downloaded in calendar 19. I know this is not apples to apples because we're not, we're talking about free games, but it was like Homescapes, Roblox, Subway Surfers, uh, Tomb of the Mask, which I don't know, Gardenscapes, Wordscapes, and PUBG and Matchington. Those are like, the most downloaded games that have made over a million dollars, right, mm -hmm. in the year. Um, and I, this is where the audience is. And I, we don't, it's like shooters, puzzle games, and Roblox, right? Like, no, none of these games exist on this service at all, right? Um, they're all just like super niche indie games. And it's, it's, it's bizarre. And, you know, I think taking the shotgun approach was, was a mistake for Sony, uh, for Apple, right? I think, yeah. you know, more of an HBO type model, maybe with amazing content mm, that, right. that attracts the broadest audience possible. You know, I, you know, Joseph made this point a while back is that, you know, focusing on like five to 10 amazing experiences that really make the, pro make the platform unique would probably mm -hmm. be a better idea. Really good um, exclusives, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so I just don't think that leadership of Apple Arcade, you know, the, this, the guys that are um, handing dev relations and stuff really kind of understand the dynamics of the market at all. Um, yeah. So, you know, 
they should reach out to the experts of free to play and figure out like where, where the genres are that they could play in. Um, another solution would be like you sign up Roblox, right? And, and you don't necessarily take Roblox holistically. You basically just ask them to provide now this is against Roblox whole whole philosophy. So I'm, I know I'm talking, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm Roblox, talking crazy you're, you're here. You're not taking the money. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there as an option. It's maybe it's not Roblox. It's someone else, but you cr create a experience in the Roblox world universe that is unique to the platform that people want are compelled to play things like that, you know? So, um, or you bring a big IP like Marvel or star Wars, uh, a game that you only can get on that service, you know, of course, this is far more risky because you're going to be spending a lot more money and a lot more dev time. But again, you have to create something unique uh, for the subscription service that that has the broadest reach possible. So, um, I, you know, and even if you were to execute across all this, I could, you know, probably go through a, a litany of things why I think it won't work. But but the way they've approached it, this the way they approach it now is just it's an epic fail, right? There's just no <laughs> way that this can be successful unless they continually spend more and more money, uh, you know, duping these developers into making more, more games. So I wouldn't call it duping the developers. I actually think I Apple paid them out extremely well. I mean, I, I, I know just anecdotally, there's probably like five to 10, you know, friends of mine who are like, thank God for, for Apple. <laughs> you know, they, they totally saved us. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, yeah. uh, most of the developers on there are very small shops um, that, like don't have the resources, don't have the expertise to like get into free to play. Cause as we know, free to play requires like extremely specialized skill sets and like a lot of people and a lot of money to do UA. Uh, you got to do data analytics. You have to do all this stuff, right. That I've been learning how to do in order to scale and actually make the model work. And like a lot of developers are just like, I just want to make games. Like I don't want to deal with any of that shit. I don't know how to do it. Like I don't want to get venture funded. Just like, I just want to make weird little games. There's, yep. there's actually quite a few uh, developers. Look, I don't, I don't disagree with that notion, but what happens when the music stops, right? What happens when Apple pulls funding, right? These, these developers have not developed any expertise that's actually marketable in a reasonable <clears throat> sense, right? They, um, they, haven't they haven't developed the skills of, of microtransactions and you know, live ops and UA and all this other stuff. You know, it's but, like- but this, this could be an ecosystem. I mean, assuming the- service continues and is profitable and drains money, which is, you know, we will talk about that later, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, this would be the way for them, for those type of developers, you know, the, the small indie premium guys to, to actually have a business. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, there's so many guys I know who are on the ropes and, so and here's Apple the thing. can't even save them. Apple is, is writing big checks, right? They're writing big checks. And if you have a small shop, like sub 10 people, something like that, even in the U S and Apple writes, you know, you're able to do one to two of these games a year, something like that. Probably let's call it one a year, right? You have a good relationship with Apple um, and they write you a two to $3 million check each time. It's like, that's viable. Believe it or not, that's actually viable, you yeah. know, depending on where you're living. And yeah, there's no upside, right? There's no upside, but you can still make a living. Yeah. Um, what happens when the checks start, stop coming? Well, so I'm let's, asking. let's talk then about it's Armageddon. That, right? It's freaking Armageddon, right? Well, I don't, I don't know that it is right. Well, where's the, not, where, where's the funding going to come from now? Where are they going to get million or $2 million to develop some tchotchke game that only like a hundred thousand people in the U S want to play? You so know? I like, think a lot, a lot, like a lot of these guys, um, have developed basically cool front ends, right. And they can go to a Zynga, 
right? Or they can go to Agree or wherever else, Nexon, you know, and get hired as game developers because they actually have expertise in game development. They don't have any of the backend expertise, right? Uh, that's uh, but a good they can, point. That's a good yeah. point. I like that so, point. All right, you're, you're training you. the next generation of real game developers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, to on. be a real game developer requires like a huge team. <laughs> You know, no, and, I, I, understand, I, I understand that. That's what I'm trying to say. But anyway, yeah. let's, uh, let's all right. Let, 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 let's talk about audience. So who, who do you guys think the audience for Apple Arcade is? Uh, if, if there's an audience, like who are the, who are the people that are going to be paying this $5 a month for Apple Arcade? Uh, starting with you, Steve. I think it's going to be guys like me, um, guys who are nostalgic aging. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, have been perhaps in the indie development scene themselves um, or just airlines. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm on the, I'm on the Propecia, so it's okay. But yeah, I, you know, what's up. Um, uh, basically um, yeah, guys who appreciate this type of experience, you know, and, and, you know, perhaps yeah. are into playing AAA games uh, like big sprawling, you know, for, single player games on PS4 or Steam. You know, my Steam library has 300 games in it, uh, some of which I've spent hundreds of hours on. Um, I'm just one of those guys, you know? And I know there are guys like me, not that many of them. I know it can't scale that far, right? But you consider that worldwide, Apple has something like a billion devices, something like that? Not 900 million. 900 uh, million. Well, we'll, right. we'll talk so, about that later, but yeah. Let's go down two orders of magnitude, take 1% of that, 9 million. That's probably the top end for this in subscribers, I would say. Absolute yeah. top end, realistically, probably less than that. And uh, are you gonna continue your, your subscription? I am actually gonna continue okay. my subscription because I'm right. still playing this stuff. I'm still playing uh, Shin, Shin Sakai and- um, Pilgrims. <laughs> yeah, Pilgrims, you know. <laughs> I only, you know, play a couple of minutes every couple of days when I'm like sitting around, you know, waiting for, waiting for somebody else to do something. Right. But yeah. Yeah. yeah and I would agree with you on audience that the audience for this are the indie lovers who like the high quality, but very weird sort of niche experiences. Yeah. So there's triple A and then there's triple I, you right. know, just right, like right. very, very high quality um, just weird indie experiences that you find mostly on Steam, but all of the platforms, so Xbox, um, Sony, PlayStation, Switch, are actually concentrating um, yeah. on, so, on this segment as well. Right, but I guess the argument I would make is that I think Apple could have tripled, at least tripled their audience if they would have not only focused on some of this stuff, but broadened the audience by actually focusing more towards like a kids and parents audience with like educational content and like you know the educational content you you could spend like well, i don't know i think they it was reported they spent 500 million but you could spend 200 million and make an extremely compelling service where a bunch of parents are going to pay five dollars a month for you know a lot of yeah. educational stuff for their for their kids and so yeah i feel like that would have been in my in my opinion a much more lucrative and much more useful audience to to go after I don't disagree with that at all. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, and yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me that much if the service evolves in that direction over time. I think given the outlay that Apple has already made, they're not gonna pull the plug in like a year. Right. You know? They're not gonna pull the plug in like three years. Probably, you know, it depends. But um, 
I guess the other thing to know, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the challenge here, though, I think is that um, there's just not a lot of people making those type of family-friendly games anymore, right? There is no market for it. You know, the indie, like, hardcore scene, like, you're, you're, you, you love is, like, you know, it's really done by Steam very well in the sense of, you know, creating an ecosystem in which you can find these crazy niche things that you can play, which is super cool. And I'm not, I'm not really dig. I'm not trying to dig on that stuff. I think it's really cool and people like love it. Um, I just don't think it's a real big market opportunity, but for the casual audience, I think the, uh, those games are kind of all on mobile right now um, on free to play. And, um, and I think there's not a lot of premium games out there, like, you know, being developed for um, that type of audience. So the one anecdote I always think about, and a lot of times when we're on the podcast, we don't really have a chance to explain ourselves. I just have these opinions that come out of nowhere. But so what, back in the old days, man, 98, 98 is when I started looking at video games uh, when I was at Alex Brown. And we were looking, we were representing Broderbun. And this is all going to come, come back to what we're talking about. I trust, trust me. Um, and at the time, there was like the two biggest publishers were Electronic Arts and Broderbun, and EA was looking to acquire Broderbun. And the whole goal was basically to get out of core games and expand, sorry, expand beyond core games to the educational market with parents and kids, right? Because mm-hmm. at the time, you know, the target demo for video games, if I said probably a million times on this podcast, was like 18 to 26-year-old boys, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so expand, expanding the demo was actually really important. Now, EA pulled out of the deal. And why? The primary reason is that education software could not drive the premium prices and therefore the model was, broke um, when, when we tried to sell the stuff. You know, CD-ROM education software commanded about like 20 to $30 for, while AAA was around $50 at the time. And, and then what happened to Broderbun? They were sold to the learning company, which is a similar company that did education software and reduced their staff by 50%. And I think ultimately none of the companies even exist anymore. So uh, Kevin O'Leary, right? Shark Tank, that guy. (laughs) Old school, yeah. Yeah. So again, a lot has changed since then and it's not quite apples to apples right now, but like the demographic has expanded beyond all expectation in terms of who's playing games these days. You know, we in the 3DS broaden the audience beyond the core, women, old people, et cetera. But again, as we look at the market today, as we sit, right, the mar- all the game and content is being developed for 18 to 44-year-old males because that's all that's really active within the install base of console and, um, and PC uh, and to the certain extent mobile. Um, and so, and, and the reason why is relatively simple. is like the mass market is super fickle. They go from one shiny thing to another, you know. Parents and families are far more cost-conscious than core gamers in terms of, of, of spending on games. And casual games by definition, or sorry, casual gamers by definition don't spend money on games because they're casual, right? Like this is exactly what happened to the Wii, right? The Wii was being sold to like insane amounts of volume to like 80-year-old grandmas, right, in the, in the old folks' home. Like how many pieces of software are they actually going to purchase? You know, none, right? So, <laughs> um, so anyway, the notion that Apple can actually target parents and children, I think is flawed from the get-go because they're less likely to convert this audience, first of all, and there's no content to provide them. I mean, unless people start creating that content specifically for this, right? Yeah. Which is possible given the deep content. But um, because there's really no one that makes this content anymore besides Nintendo. So there's another opportunity for them, right? You basically somehow partner with Nintendo to stop making these stupid free-to-play games that don't work (laughs) <laughs> and that that's your like your linchpin um 
content provider for this service, yeah. then I'm bold up, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's just create Nintendo content for this and they become like the, you know, the primary, you know, content pr provider. Yeah. Right? Well, that would actually be to, awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have to disagree with you on this because like if you, if you look at the, there's companies like Age of Learning with ABC Mouse that have been on an absolute tear and in, in China as well, like the kids educational market in China is like massive. So I, I just think but we're not that, talking about China at all. I, yeah, I'm not talking about China, but I'm just saying that there, there is a latent desire for a lot of parents to buy educational content. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I disagree. I, I just, just, I just don't, I think people are, it's chasing rainbows and, and unicorns when, when you start talking about education software and I, I'd be happy to be contradicted and, and tell me where I'm wrong here, but yeah, I, no, every, just, just, just look at age of learning. <laughs> you know, that, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll look at it, but yeah. I've heard of that. And I think the missing component from, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, which is what you were talking about earlier is, is just the, like the research basis for it. Right. Yeah. And so no, if you I have mean, one of, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. If you, if you have one of these companies that has a bunch of like decent studies behind it, then, and they market it properly, then I think parents are going to be like all over it. You know, it's like hooked on phonics, you know? Yeah, no, I would go not so much in the Nintendo direction, but more of the uh, age of learning Academy of problem science, math antics, uh, Osmo, more, more in that direction. So there, but you're talking, you're talking about B to C, right? Or sorry, B to B. You're talking about like no. these, these services are selling directly to the, to yeah. mm -hmm. parents. Yeah. Yep. Mm. All right. I'll look into it. Okay. <laughs> All right. But, uh, sorry, but well, yeah, sorry, sorry, but, but, but this is education though. I'm, we're talking, we're talking about like entertainment, right? Edutainment. Yeah. Edutainment. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, see any of those games like cropping yeah. up on the revenue Another charts. one you should check out is uh, um, there's actually a, a game called Prodigy on, on, uh, on mobile. That, that's been on a tear as well. Prodigy. Yeah. Hmm. It's like a, it's an RPG math game. And there, there are, <laughs> you, you, there's kids at, at my, you know, my, my kids elementary school, you have to like force them to stop playing. <laughs> Got it. Anyway. All right. So strengths, weaknesses, areas of improvement in terms of like the, the Apple Arcade experience, what, what do you guys think? Are there things that, that they should be doing to improve the service? Maybe starting with you, Steve? Yeah, so I think the points that have already been made are, in terms of curation are, are entirely correct. It would probably make more sense um, to like lower the throughput Right, because right now they're literally shoveling new games onto a growing pile, right? right, right? right. And uh, that just creates shovelware, right? Literally, it's like you know, just like throw some more coal on the pile and just burn it up, and then next week, like just, you know, more on top of that. And yeah, I think if you do that, then the value goes to zero, right? Which is a which is a real concern, and and Apple just has to subsidize it forever, which actually they can do. They can subsidize this forever, to be clear. They're sitting on $250 billion in cash. <laughs> right. Well, so they can, if they, they need, need to the subsidize, Medici, like, right? like we'll, we'll talk about it later, but they, they may actually not even need to, to, I mean, this may actually be a profitable service. I mean, what, I, I think it can we, be, we can, we can, we can talk about that. Yeah. But. Especially as part of a bundle, right. Um, a services bundle, but, um, yeah, so, so being a little bit more selective about curation, I, I think is a very good idea. Um, you know, I don't know if they're considering um, introducing uh, like UA or anything like that uh, for the service. Um, they totally could if they felt like it. Um, 
you know, but uh, I think they're probably going to see how this grows organically first, if it grows organically. Like, I assume that they're, they've gotten a nice pop just from putting the frickin' icon, you know, along yeah. the bottom of the, uh, the app store, right? Um, but from there, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where it's growing. Um, so those are, those, are, those are two things I can think of. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to agree. I mean, I think it's a great value for, you know, the 100,000 customers that care about indie games. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, but given, you know, given the customer appeal is very niche, you know, I'm not sure you can really build a scalable business per se here. Um, uh, you know, and the model for developers seem to be work for hire. I, I would expect very, very little backend uh, revenue um, yeah. for, for most of the publishers or developers. If, if there is backend, um, you have to get the incentive structure right. Otherwise, you can really screw yourself. So like the word on the street has been there is a backend and it's incentivized based on quote unquote engagement, right? And Google's version of this, Google has a version of it too. I forget what they're calling it, right? Um, but it's some compu complicated formula based on playtime. And if you do that, you risk incentivizing developers just making like bloat quests, you know? So super grindy stuff. Um, you know, they probably don't know how to do it, right? <laughs> so it probably ends up just tanking the quality of these games. Um, and, and talking to developers um, who, who have looked at this, you know, it's like, well, is that going to incentivize developers to like put in extra frames of animation just to like stretch out, you know, the amount of time that people are playing and stuff like that? Or like in introducing loading screens that aren't strictly necessary, you know? It's like, so you got to watch your incentive structure on the back end. <laughs> yeah, I think another strength is the auto renew. You know, I said in the podcast <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> earlier that the really only hope for this service is they put an auto renew feature that customers will forget about and continue to be charged without knowing because $5 kind of falls off the radar to some degree every oh, month, yeah. right? So subscription and so, in general is largely driven by um, lap subscribership. And, you know, I'm coming from the feature phone era where we just printed money. Uh, against people like forgetting that something was was being billed by Verizon, you know, every single month, <laughs> it just got yeah. rolled into the bill. Right, and and what they did was they created a system that you can't cancel. It was mm -hmm. diabolical, yeah. right? Because if you cancel, then you lose access to all that content for that month. So you literally have to cancel like twenty four hours or something before the next next period, right? Right. So what happened? I forgot to cancel. <laughs> I was charged an extra five bucks, you know? Yeah, and the sub-mechanics... I, I was duped by my own prediction. <laughs> and the, the sub-mechanics and un-sub-mechanics on, on, on Apple devices, it's not easy. You have to go into, like, I think three different menus in order to actually do this from the device. Uh, it's a lot easier on Google, um, which is another reason to doubt, you know, Google doing a fast follow here, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think for me that it's it really comes down to the value in terms of the um, key weakness. It's like there there isn't enough. Like if if they did more like what Google is doing with uh, by having apps or again whether it's kids educational content or something else, it'd be a stronger value for me. But uh, to me, the main weakness is just the the content scope, which is you know really focused around indies and not having enough value for a broader audience. Yeah. So then let's, let's kind of wrap this up with predictions. So how, how well do we think this service is going to do long-term and what, what, what are your thoughts? Maybe starting with you, Steve. Right. So for every 1 million subscribers, right, Apple is going to get $60 million a year from this thing, uh, if my basic math is correct. Um, 
So again, if your top end is nine million, and I think it is, um, you're looking at quick math, you know, roughly five hundred and forty million dollars a year, yep. something like that, right? And and you know, if you as a line item, that's not very exciting for Apple. Um, if you think about it in other terms, right? Um, if at some point they introduce a services bundle where you get Apple Music, Apple TV, Apple News, Apple Arcade, and whatever else they come up with um, for some <clears throat> discounted amount um, against like buying those services piecemeal. Right. Um, and then this becomes like an incremental upsell to that. So you get 5% more juice out of whatever that bundle is. That could be potentially a much bigger deal, right? right. Um, another way in which this can pay dividends is basically brand marketing, right? It's Apple saying, hey, like we're the, we're the platform for creatives, you know? And they've always done this for decades. It's like, you know, we want to do desktop publishing. We want to be the headquarters for graphic designers, you know? Uh, with GarageBand, we want to be the headquarters for, um, you know, like indie musicians, for instance, um, people just scurrying around, right? We want that to be a major use case. And like indie game development, it, believe it or not, is like a segment that is growing for creatives. You know, like people who don't even necessarily make viable games on any platform, right? But just kind of enjoy doing it. Like there aren't that many of them, but it is growing, right? I've been to like IndieCade here in Los Angeles for I think five or six years running, right? And that thing is getting bigger and bigger and there's more of them all over the place, right? So there is like kind of that element too, where it's like, yeah, we can subsidize this for some period of time and we don't care because we're sitting on $250 billion in cash, right? And we're not Berkshire halfway. We have to find like ways to actually deploy this money and build businesses, right? So maybe we can pay ourselves back uh, by making Apple, you know, just incrementally better. Um, in people's minds as a platform for creatives, right? Uh, neither of those things are really line items. Well, I guess the, if you do some math, you can do um, like the, the, the services bundle stuff. Um, but like in terms of brand equity, that's not a line item, you know? Uh, it's more of a long-term play, but I think it still makes sense. Yeah, from my view, I actually, you know, I'm kind of aligned with what you're thinking, Steve. And, and, and you know, coincidentally, I actually came up with the same number that you did. But, but, <laughs> okay. so, but yeah, I, I think that the, it really, this really depends on how Apple views the service more strategically, right? So it's not going to make for them a ton of money. But, you know, um, but even now, you, you can tell that Apple thinks of this as very important, just given the amount of, um, you know, app store space that they've allocated to arcade and how they've marketed it internally or externally. And so you can tell that at least currently they they're putting a lot into Apple arcade and they, they feel that it's strategically important, but yeah, from a, from a financial perspective, you know, just, just kind of doing back in the envelope math and getting to um, the, actually the same exact same number that you came up with. <laughs> so, so in January of this year, Apple CFO Luca Maestri revealed that, you know, Apple has an installed base of 900 million iPhones. He didn't clarify exactly what that actually meant more specifically. And, but then he also added that there were 1.4 billion active iOS devices at the end of 2019. Now, okay. I, I think the 1.4 billion is the actual addressable Apple arcade market, but, but let's just take that 900 the, million. The, that's probably duplicative to some extent, right? Yeah, no, that, 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 yeah, I would use the 900, but that, that right. includes um, uh, iPads, right? 
Yeah, but you can, you can, uh, I think Apple Arcade is supported on iOS, tvOS, uh, iPadOS. Uh, so. so, so tvOS is also interesting. Like there aren't that many reasons to buy an Apple TV right now. <laughs> and like app, a, having access to Apple Arcade could actually be one of them conceivably. Right. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. But, but, yeah, let's, just, let's just let's just take the 900 million number and just you yeah. know one one percent penetration so that's nine million times five dollars a month uh and you you did the same math uh steve and we actually came up with the exact same number so you know a reasonable assumption would be 540 million in annual revenue which is not bad i mean for apple it's kind of bad but it's not super bad but then let's also say that they earmark 30 percent of that for developer rev share. So 378 million for them. And so, you know, I don't know, it's small relative to Apple, but you know, it's the outlay is also small. The outlay is trivial for them. They don't care. You know, they can do whatever the fuck they want, right? While they're waiting for like augmented reality and self-driving cars and all these other markets to pay off, the mandate is grow services. Right. Yeah. Grow services, but, services, services. Right. So now, like, now this is a service. Right. And that three seventy-eight. <laughs> I assume they're going to have to keep like paying out developers to continue to make content for them. So like it's they can do it. They don't care. <laughs> see, again, so this goes back to it's like financially does not make a whole lot of sense. So it really comes down to how does Apple view this service strategically, right? Yeah. And so that's. I, I think that's that's the main main issue, and and I, I you know and again I, I I didn't want to pick a number higher than one percent just because like all the things that we talked about it's not this is not a mainstream service and it is not and for me you know and I guess you know I'll I'll argue with Eric about this but I do think that if they would have done a different approach like kids education or whatever I I think they could actually double triple that that audience but sure I, I don't know Eric what do you think. Uh- you're killing me, dude. You're, you're absolutely. <laughs> I am throwing up in my mouth right now. I'm, I'm so frustrated by this whole discussion. Let so, us have it. This is good. Okay. First of all, I agree. Apple has the deepest pockets possible. They can spend and lose money as much as they want. But Wall Street is expecting $5 billion of, of revenue from this in a few years. Right? For real? If they're sitting at 540 <laughs> and by that time, it's probably 300 I mean game over dude like apple will just look like idiots right in terms of uh, from the wall street perspective now they are gonna i mean in my opinion they have to start tapering down expectations on this thing because there's just no yeah. way in god's green earth that that is going to happen all right, right so yeah but first thing about your predictions first when you i love hyper i love back of the envelope high level predictions i do it all the time but one of the things that you're not really incorporating is churn, right? So churn mm-hmm. could be as much as 30 to 40% a month on this thing, right? Now, maybe less because of their diabolical renewal strategy. I think it's but, a little less, yeah. yeah. But but ultimately, you're going to get there, right? As people get smart and realize they're getting charged five bucks for something they're not using, right? Yeah, they'll and have then, to do UA at some point. Right. And then ultimately, uh, a percentage of the overall install base is not really solid modeling to some degree because you no. have to really account for uh, demographic and regional breakout of the install base. And I didn't have a chance to actually look into this too closely, but I've done it before in the past. But I, I would imagine like in North America and Europe and maybe LATAM, like you have a billion handsets, you know, 500, 600 million, or maybe maybe iPhones. And then you take, you know, iPhones that actually can run this stuff. Maybe you're at like 400 million. So maybe that's like your, your top line in terms of your addressable market. Um, and so that's where I would start. 
Um, but you know, at the end of the day, EA is going to uh, Apple. EA Apple is going to support this if they want to support it. You know, they have unlimited budget. Um, could it get to break even? Possibly. You know, but at five bucks a month, it's going to be rough, right? At at ten dollars a month, you know, that's that's a little bit easier to scale, right? Um, but I, I honestly think, and I said this in the last podcast before, and I don't want to be too pedantic about this, but like, but I'm going to be anyway. But the, <laughs> the really big impact I think this will have longer term is uh, the developers they're trying to support, right? I think ultimately, will un- ultimately Apple will single-handedly destroy the value perception of indie content, right? So the more developers that create experiences for the service, the more more loss of value from the consumer perspective, right? So if the consumer perceives that 100 games that are high production value, like strong, really great indie games are worth $5, it's impossible to overcome that perception from the consumer over the long term, right? I tell you, Iwata in this presentation, which I've said before, said it to investors, you know, why aren't you doing, the question was, why aren't you doing free-to-play content? And then he basically said, free-to-play games devalue content and it creates this race to zero, right? And I think Apple and Google well, my, could get us to the finish line on this race if, <laughs> if, if, if this continues in this way because it just scares me, you know, that, that all these great game developers and these people that you love uh, <laughs> um, are just, their content is worth, what Apple is saying, you know, cents, 20 cents, 30 cents, right? I don't think that's a good thing for your, your, your favorite uh, indie developers. Yeah, so, so I think that's a reasonable point. And the question, the, the real key question is whether that is just the case on Apple's platform or whether it spreads to like Steam and PS4 and Switch and the other platforms where these indie games are still, you know, very viable. Um, and I suspect that it'll, the impact will be limited to Apple's platform where uh, premium games were already dying. They were already on their way out. And to a certain extent, I think Apple Arcade is a response to that, right? It's not really a cause. Like it will be both cause and effect um, in that now that it exists, it will hasten the demise of premium games outside of Apple Arcade on Apple's platform. I don't think there's any question about that. Right? I don't know if it's going to kill off indie games outside of Apple's platform. Uh, I kind of doubt it, actually. You know, I think Steam, Epic, um, you know, all the other platforms, like, they're, they're actually pretty invested in, in getting uh, indie games on those platforms still. So. All right. So, and Eric, what do you think? So in terms of the, the Wall Street pressure, do you, do you think that if, if they're showing, like, a break-even business that this thing – that do you think there's enough pressure for the, for them to just like even if Apple internally st- thinks that this is a strategically important sort of business initiative, you, you think that they're going to have enough pressure to just force them to to like not do this? You know, I, 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 that's a tough one. I don't cover Apple, and I'm not really that as close to it. But I, I honestly think between I, Apple Music was a resounding success, right? But they okay. had this uh, install base of and and an advantage on the platform that is you know unrepeatable to some degree right with any other service so so spotify is actually suing them about this right now exactly and and they have a they have a legitimate case right Mm -hmm. because they're competing against them in an unfair way but absolutely but they have no such advantage on apple tv they have no such advantage 
they do have an advantage on Apple Arcade, excuse me. For sure. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. so at the end of the day, like it's part of their overall services strategy. And so I think their services strategy is pretty much flawed because I think Apple TV is ridiculous. Um, and yeah. and uh, and I don't think our arcade's going to really do much. Um, so if they stop, if they st- stop hitting their services number, you know, there, there's going to be a reckoning, right? Uh, because that's what their expectation is, and valuations of the company are being based upon multiples on these type of these type of revenues. So yeah, this could be a challenge for them. But I don't I don't know what they will do. I I, I actually I'm I'm more on your camp in the sense that I think they'll continue to support this and spend whatever it takes. But um, there's going to be a limit to that. You know, maybe it's five yeah. years from now. I don't know. I think the other thing that may help them a lot is if they shift from from indie jizz to to more hits driven. <laughs> like we've already <laughs> talked about it, but like somebody's got to be able to talk to those guys about like you know all the all the you know like all the long tail back catalog stuff is not. That's not where like the the world that we live in right now. People play two or three games or, or maybe just one game and that's what takes up all of their time. And yeah, I mean, I put 700 hours into Civ 6. So right. yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. so, so if, if they, I, I think the one thing that can really move the needle for them in a big way is, is again, shifting away from indiges to like really focusing on five to 10 key titles and just, you know, instead of investing a few hundred thousand or a few million dollars, invest, 10 or 10 20 million. million or 50 million or 100 million on yeah. some really key titles. Yeah, Big I, exclusives. I'm going back to my Nintendo example, right? It, you yeah. know, both of them are failing so miserably at this. It's like two drunks holding each other up, right? So like <laughs> they partner up, they do a subscription of their services and then Nintendo looks like a hero, Apple looks like a hero and, and they may be able to drive some revenue on that. But like, I, I still no, think actually, it'll be a challenge. Like if, there was a, if there was a Nintendo deal on Apple Arcade, I mean, like the the conversion would be like you know ten percent. <laughs> like Although the yeah. conversion on Mario was what two percent, right? It was so, initially ten percent on on Super no, Mario. No, that's right? lie. Absolute lie. lie. <laughs> I, that, that is not true. The that, that was what just, was reported. You could download the data, dude. Okay. There's no way it was ten percent. But whatever. Anyway, nonetheless, it it generated no revenue. I mean, yeah. on a relative basis. It it will be really interesting to see um, how whoever is behind Apple Arcade, um, how their strategy evolves as the data comes in. I assume that they have analysts looking at the data and they're going to figure yeah. some of this stuff out, right? You know what's... Oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so, so they could pivot to education, right? And they might do it pretty quickly. They could pivot to much bigger games. And, you know, we could see that probably in a year or two because those games take longer to develop than what we're currently seeing. Um, but they got to be looking at this stuff on the back end. They got to have analysts and right. Like, but I, I think everyone got out of so they, They'll probably have to look at the data in a month or two from now, right? Yeah, no, like it's going to take I, at least six months to <laughs> you know filter out sort of the golden cohort stuff and all of that crap. But yeah, you know what's also diabolical to me is that you can't track, or as far as I can see, it's you're unable to track how many downloads of the games that are actually in arcade. So I tried to look up Oceanhorn 2, yeah, and it's not even in the store, right? Uh-huh. I, I don't think that's not, I mean, I think that's intentional, right? They don't want to know people to know how, big, how many people are downloading these games. No, um, and you might recall that Netflix is just now starting to discuss how many views its shows actually get, and their metrics are different than industry standard, and they're still 
just like barely trickling out that data. And it's really frustrating everybody in Hollywood, right? Because mm. it's like, you know, they play their cards really close to the vest because they don't want people to know, right? Like it's <laughs> like if people, if people knew it might affect their ability to raise money. Right. Um, and I think what you have to say about the street looking at Apple's services strategy is like, they don't want the street to know. Right. <laughs> it's like, I think analysts will probably start asking those questions and Apple will just be like, eh, here's a crumb of information here, a crumb of information there. Um, just give them, you know, as little yeah, as possible. It'd be interesting to see what they say in the earnings call about this. Um, yeah. Because of course the renewal just came up right from day one mm-hmm. a few days ago. I just got my notification from Apple that I was charged five dollars. And <laughs> how I do you feel rate, about that? <laughs> I am feeling really bad about that. <laughs> Terrible. I feel like I'm, I'm feeling like an absolute moron, right? <laughs> that I fell for my own bullshit. <laughs> anyway. Um, All right, guys. Well, I think um, unless there are any uh, final comments, I th- I think that's just about it. Nah, this is a real pleasure. Um, can I plug my podcast? Yeah, go, go for, for it. it. Awesome. All right. So yeah, as alluded to earlier, uh, I do have a doctorate in international relations <laughs> from UCLA and I haven't used it for years to actually you know, do academic work, but I did start a podcast with a buddy of mine from graduate school. We rant about IR on a weekly basis. Um, this past week, we talked about the Chilean uh, disaster going on with the protests. Uh, We've done climate change. Um, we've done uh, the situation in Syria. Uh, it's called the Elucidators, decoding Elucidators. global news. So okay. check it out on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Basically, we're there. How long Thank have you, you had your podcast for, Steve? Uh, this was week eleven, so we're pretty new. And yeah. uh, you know, you you call yourself a wannabe YouTuber. Um, I've heard <laughs> you from that say that many times. We're wannabe podcasters. We're mostly just doing it for fun. But uh, UA for podcasts is very interesting. I'm trying to crack that code. Um, unit economics are tough. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Could you, uh, spell your podcast? Elucidators. E-L-U-C-I-D-A-T-O-R-S. See, I didn't get a doctorate in philosophy, so I can't <laughs> Didn't spell. get a doctorate in spelling either, huh? Uh, no doubt. <laughs> Decoding global news. You can also search for that and uh, it. it'll come up. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot for your time. And we are out. Thanks. Awesome.